Amen. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, first of all, let me uh, just add my welcome to that of Jared's earlier, and uh, thank you to Jared for so helpfully leading us through that first part of the service, along with Joanne for reading, Moira for praying, and also uh, the musicians uh, for playing for us too. And it's great now in our, as part of our service together to just turn to God's Word. So if you've got a uh, Bible with you, I'd love you to open up uh, again to Romans 15, verses 1 to 7 that Joanne uh, was reading for us a little bit earlier. And as we look at this passage together, here's the question that I want us to have in our minds as we look at it. How is it that we here at Great Vic can be a Christ-like, God-glorifying church as we press on into this new year of 2024? And as we um, ask that question, I guess lying behind it then is also this question. How are we as a church meant to be different then also to the world around us? How are we as a church meant to be different to any other organization that we could be a part of right here in our city of Belfast? And the reason I ask that question or those questions really is that as we look at these verses this morning, we're going to see, I think, three clear ways that we are to be different. And these are going to be really helpful, I think, reminders, corrections for us. See, as Jared has already alluded to, as he opened the the service, it is easy, I think, for us as a church to quickly, or or subtly even, get sucked into the values of the world. We hear things like this all the time, don't we? It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Do whatever you can to get ahead. Or or here's a quote I found um, online this week. Don't let anything stop you from chasing your own greatness. Or what about, as Michael Jordan apparently once said, there is no I in team, but there is in win. Now, maybe as I read those quotes, uh, you maybe had a bit of a negative reaction to them. And I guess we'd maybe say that's good. They seem very individualistic, don't they? Lacking care, love for others. But the thing is that as much as we may initially react negatively to something like that, because this kind of thinking is so widespread in our world, it is so easily, it creeps into our own thinking, our own thinking individually, but then even as we come together as a church. And that's why I think this is such a great passage that we're turning to this morning, because it stops us in our tracks, and it gives us clear corrections to the self-glorifying self-centered attitudes that we can so quickly slip into. We're going to see here, it reorients us, reorients our thinking from all being about me, me, my glory and success, to actually how all of us together can look to God and glorify him, and how together we can look out for each other, care for each other, love each other, welcome each other. So as we get into this, let's just be praying that as a church, as we hear from God's words now, it would change us, it would shape us, individually and as a church, that we would be this Christ-like, God-glorifying church. As we turn to the passage uh, in Romans 15, it is important, I think, to recognize that this does come in a flow. Romans 14 
has been a long section where Paul has been talking about what we are free uh, to do as Christians. In particular, at the end of Romans 14, he's been talking about whether we're free to eat or drink whatever we want. Himself, he is convinced that everything is clean. It isn't wrong or, or, uh, to eat or to drink anything. But he's also recognizing that there are still those who believe and think otherwise, that for them, certain foods and drinks are unclean. And Paul has been arguing all the way through this previous chapter that in the midst of all of those disagreements, we're to avoid, first of all, passing judgment on each other. And instead, as he puts it in verse 19 of chapter 14, pursue what makes for peace, what makes for mutual upbuilding. And it's that attitude of pursuing peace and the building up of each other that Paul picks up as we look at these first two verses of chapter 15. Read these verses with me again. Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Or it could be better translated, to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. Not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Do you notice the repeated language that came up there that we also heard in that verse 19 of the previous chapter? We as a church are to build each other up. That's the first thing that Paul points us to here. How we can be this Christ-like, God-glorifying church. We're to build each other up. Following on from what Paul's been saying in chapter 14, we see here in, from verse 1 as well that one way that that begins is by not looking to judge others. Not looking to judge others amongst us who may think differently about things, particularly our Christian freedoms. What we are free to eat or to drink. Where we are free to go. What we are free or not to watch. Instead of judging, we see here we're meant to graciously, gently draw alongside those others in the church around us to build them up, not pleasing ourselves, but looking for what is good for them. But notice then how in that second half, in verse 2, Paul seems to build on this specific to make a much wider, more general statement, doesn't he? We do that, what we've just been talking about, because in general, here is what we're to do. Verse 2, each of us seek to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, as we think of this language of construction, building, I am, uh, it's safe to say, no construction expert. Uh, given that I have no experience, no qualifications, I am fully expecting that I am not going to be called on when we pray, we start our work out the front in our new building project. But here's something that I think I have noticed from buildings. It seems a lot easier to tear them down than to build them up. 
They're much quicker, I think, over in, in America, in Jared's country, or other countries, I think. But sometimes here, I don't know if you've noticed this, it feels like it just takes an absolute age, doesn't it, for a house or for a building to go up. Weeks, months, years. But see, that same house or building that we've waited weeks or months or years to be built, if you get a crane, you get a big wrecking ball, well, it could be destroyed in a matter of minutes, couldn't it? Reduced to rubble. And I think what seems to be true in construction is also, I think, true in the church. What Paul is calling us to here, to week by week be building each other up, it's not an easy thing. It's never going to be a quick thing. In some ways, we might get frustrated just as we look at other buildings going up, frustrated because it seems to be such slow progress. We might not even barely notice the progress at first. It would be much easier, wouldn't it, if we want to notice something, to be those who tear down, who cast others aside, who trample over them, reduce them to rubble, as it were, put them in their rightful place. But if we're doing that, we are forgetting who it is that we're called to be as a church, as we stand together. Do you remember what the Apostle Peter says elsewhere? We are together being built up as a spiritual house. So if one stone falls, it will inevitably negatively impact us all. We as a church are to be those who are building each other up. As we do that, strengthening the church as a whole, not those who are making it weaker by tearing others down. And of course, if we're tempted towards tearing others down rather than building them up, we've not just forgotten who we are as a church, but we have also forgotten our Savior and his example. And that's where Paul goes, isn't it, in verse 3. Read with me verses 2 and 3 together. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What will it look like for us here at the church to mean that we don't just come thinking about ourselves, but instead come looking to build each other up, it'll look like following Christ's example. The example of the one who gave up everything for the good of others. We think of that, don't we? If you're a part of a small group, in the kind of language even as we reflect on this in Philippians 2. We've been looking at that recently, haven't we? Seeing how Christ, God himself, humbly came, stepped into our world, becoming a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And how even more than that, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we see that same self-sacrificial, other people-serving attitude here in what Paul's saying in Romans 15.3. He's quoting from Psalm 69. And here we see in these words that Christ was even willing to come to earth to be scorned, to be reproached, to be persecuted 
as he came to carry out his father's will, as he came to bring about God's salvation plan. As Christ was reproached and ultimately died, he was doing that for you and he was doing that for me if we're trusting in him. And here then is Paul's point. In light of that example of Christ, in light of what he has done for us, inspired by what he's done for us, we also should live our lives not focusing on ourselves, but looking outwards, looking outwards to others, thinking how can we edify, how can we strengthen, how can we encourage those around us. And in particular here, as Paul writes to this church in Rome at this time, we can think, how can we do that here in our church at this time? What could that look like for us then, to take these words seriously, other than what we've already touched on? Well, surely, first of all, if we think of Christ's attitude, it's going to mean coming and thinking of church with an attitude of self-sacrifice. Are we ready and willing to give up something? Time, money, comfort, energy for the good of others, to serve them, to build them up. As we think about this, it doesn't even have to be dramatic, does it? What about self-sacrificially, purposefully committing yourself to pray? To pray regularly for others here in the church. I wonder if you already do that. It's easier, isn't it, to think, oh, I'll leave that to somebody else. could get my extra 10 minutes in bed. But what about committing, if the church is too big, committing regularly to pray for people in your small group? Could you do that every day? What about working through the church directory, praying regularly? As I say, it may cost you some sleep. It may cost you something, but that's not surprising. It's going to cost if we're going to follow Christ's self-sacrificial example. And it's a beautiful thing to do that for each other. Or what about serving others here at Great Vic by giving up your time, by serving in one of our ministry teams? What could that look like for you, to be a part of that? Or it could be giving up an evening or a lunchtime and just opening up your home, inviting people around to say, come in. And as you do that, purposefully look for ways to make that a time when you build each other up. You talk well of each other. You point each other to the Lord, to the grace that each of us have received. Well, taking a slightly different angle in following Christ's example, what about this attitude of humility? How low would you be willing to stoop if it meant building up a brother or a sister here? If it meant someone else looking at you strangely? Or thinking of humility, would you be willing to humbly go along with certain things that happen here at the church, even changes to things that are happening here at the church, if you can see that it's genuinely good and it's building people up? Or go along with and even support changes that you personally might not love to specific ministries within the church. How can we go about doing that if we're seeking the good of each other? 
to live like this in a Christ-like manner, self-sacrificially, humbly looking to build each other up. As I say, it will never be easy. But that isn't what we're called to as Christians, an easy life. We're called to follow a suffering saviour, one who gave it all up for us. We can point others to him, can't we, even in how we follow his example. Let's hear it, Great Vic, not let the world's thinking infect our thinking. Let's not let it be about me, me, me. But as Paul says, let's look to build each other up. And as we see this, just one more thing then that we can do, do together to build each other up from verse 4. We can together read God's word. If ever there was a verse to encourage us to get stuck into this book, here it is. Right? So Paul himself has just gone back to this book. This is why he's writing it. He's, he's quoted from Psalm 69, verse 3. In verse 3 there. And Paul, in verse 4, now writes these words. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. If that is true, that all that is written in this book is profitable for us, written for our instruction to help us, to encourage us, to help us to endure, pointing us to Christ in whom we have our hope, Well, what better way could we look to build each other up than by spending time in this book together? That's why we spend so much time considering God's word Sunday by Sunday. That's why in our small groups, we regularly get stuck into a book from the Bible and look at it together. But of course, it doesn't have to end there, does it? I wonder, given these encouragements about God's word... Who could you also look to get alongside more personally, regularly, just to read God's word with? Here's what I encourage everyone here this morning to just be thinking. Who might that one or two people be? Who might they be who I can come alongside and just say, hey, do you want to read the Bible together? It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could be once every other week. It could be once a month could be 20 minutes looking at God's word, rejoicing in the truths, allowing it to shape us, helping it to encourage us, allowing it to help us to endure to the end. There is so much in God's word. Let's get stuck into it together as a church, build each other up in whatever way we can through it. So together, Paul calls us to follow Christ's example and as a church, not look to please ourselves, but build others up however we can. But that isn't all. As we say, now there's more to come. Here's now the second thing that in this passage, it shows us how we can be a Christ-like, God-glorifying church. And that is to together live in harmony. Look at verses 5 to 6 with me as we see this, this prayer that Paul moves on to. He prays, verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now clearly, as Paul prays this prayer, what he hasn't got in mind is that as a church, we suddenly are to agree with each other 
about everything. There is space, even within the church, believe it or not, for disagreement. But what there isn't space for, he's making it clear, is for that disagreement to turn into disunity. Look how he puts it there. To live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. Here is the center, the magnet, as it were, that Paul prays would pull us back together again, even when we've been disagreeing. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in accord with him. For his sake, remembering all that he has done for us. If we keep looking to him, we can genuinely, together with one voice, glorify God. No matter our differences. If we keep looking to Christ, the one who unites. This got me thinking this week about one of my favorite football teams. I have a few. I know that's slightly controversial, but my, one of my favorites is, uh, is Newcastle United. Uh, and back in 2005, they were playing this match against Aston Villa. It reached about the 70, 75th minute, and it was not going well. The team were 3-0 down already, heading for a heavy defeat. When suddenly, out of the blue, this crazy thing happened. Suddenly, two players turned on each other and just started taking wild, swinging punches at each other, going at each other. But the craziest thing was, the two players were both players of Newcastle United. Lee Bowyer, Kieran Dyer. There, in front of 50,000 fans, St. James's Park, there they were, completely going at each other. You can see them there being restrained, even by members of the, uh, the other team. They were having this full-blown bust-up. And of course, the question that we ask ourselves is, why? Why would this kind of thing happen? They were asked a lot of questions themselves afterwards, too. And above all, I think the thing that was clear was that both of these players had lost sight of playing for the team. And instead, they'd become all about themselves, their own individual performance. They'd lost sight of representing the team, representing the fans, representing the club. They'd become two individuals frustrated with each other. And of course, the knock-on effect was that they were both banned for a number of games. In the long term, then, the team went on and suffered because they weren't a part of the team for those games, and Newcastle's reputation was damaged. And this, I think, is a picture, I think, of what Paul is pointing us to here in this prayer, that as Christians, that is not how we are to be, because fundamentally, we are all part of the same team, and we need to remember that. We're not wearing a badge of Newcastle United but a badge that is so much more precious, so much more glorious than that. We're wearing the badge of Christ. Christ who has suffered for us, given himself for us, united us together. That is what we need to remember as Christians. And as Christians here, as part of Great Vic, this prayer of Paul 
Paul's will only be answered if we keep our eyes fixed on the bigger picture. The bigger picture, not just on ourselves. We need to remember Christ. We need to constantly be rejoicing in him and the grace and mercy that we've received. When we're doing that, when we're looking to Christ, we remember that one of the greatest privileges we have as a church is to together, as Paul writes here, together glorify God the Father, the one who deserves all the glory because of all that he's done for us, because of who he is. One who even when we were his enemies, we were playing for the other team, graciously sent his son to save us, to bring us to himself, to make us his sons and daughters. Remember that quote from the beginning that we put up, don't let anything stop you from chasing your own greatness. Well, I think we can well and truly bury that one, can't we? How about this? Don't let anything stop you from looking to give glory to God and showing his greatness. And part of that, Paul says here, is looking to live in harmony with those around us in the church who have also come to know the same greatness of God. Just as those players fighting made Newcastle look bad, well, disunity, quarreling, fighting within God's church, it also robs God of his glory, doesn't it? So how can we respond? Well, first and foremost, surely, praying. I would just ask you this year, plead with you this year, take up this prayer of Paul as you think of our church. Pray, as Paul does here, for God to grant us here at Great Vic to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together this year we might with one voice glorify God the Father. It is God who by his word by his spirit, by his power can hold us together. So we need to be asking him to do that. Why? Again, ultimately, not so that even we as, as a church at Great Vic look great. No, because then we can show the glory of God. As we grow as a church, there's inevitably more room, isn't there, for divisions to creep in for differences of opinions to appear, even over the smallest, most insignificant things. Let's pray this year. Let's pray that God would protect us, keep us united, keep us looking to Christ as we press on. But then let's also look to act on these words ourselves and what they remind us. Here's a question I genuinely like to ask you then this morning. Is there anyone here at Great Vic who you, deep down, know in your heart you are not living in harmony with? It's easy, isn't it? It's easy, isn't it, for little things to have been said in the past, for little disagreements to bubble over, disputes left to fester and grow. Why not? In light of God's words here, let's take the initiative this morning, each of us, And if something needs to be apologized for, let's go ahead. Let's stoop low as Christ and and go and apologize. Let's seek 
reconciliation with each other for the glory of God. Or maybe just this morning, you need to go out of your way to, to seek out and love that person who you've even just been privately holding something against. Purposely look for ways you can grow relationships, not separate them, not cause them to harm in a church. Again, what's going to enable us to do that? Well, only surely by remembering Christ. Remembering what he has done for us. He is the focus of our unity. He is the source of our unity. Looking to him and the forgiveness each of us have found in him. Let's together look to forgive each other. Be reconciled with each other. Live in harmony with each other. That as we meet as a church, nothing would distract. Nothing would take away from us uniting our voices, as we've been doing this morning, uniting our voices together in praise of our great and glorious God. And as we pick then back up in our passage and come to this final verse, here Paul wraps up all that he's been thinking about, commanding us up to this point. Here's how he concludes, verse 7. Therefore, in light of all that he's just said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How then, finally, can we be this Christ-like, God-glorifying church this coming year? By welcoming each other. In so many ways, this simple command sums up and draws out so much of what we've been just thinking about, doesn't it? After all, how can we build each other up if we will not welcome each other? If we'll keep judging others, looking down on them, How can we live in harmony with each other if we will not welcome each other? If we will not be willing to forgive and to show grace to each other? And so this is what Paul closes with, this command, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And as I was thinking about this this week, again, I was trying to think of an illustration here. What does this kind of welcome look like? Well, I have to say that I came up short, except I'm thankful for Paul, because he takes us to the best, doesn't he? The best illustration, the welcome of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we read of time and time again in the Gospels? We read of Jesus welcoming people to himself. We read of Jesus welcoming the sinner. We read of Jesus welcoming the outcast. We read of Jesus welcoming the unclean. We read of Jesus welcoming the lowest of the low, those who had no rights at all, as he welcomed the little children to himself. In fact, here is the list of those who Jesus turned away when they humbly came to him. There is no list. Jesus turned no one away from him who came to him. The only ones we receive in the, we hear in the Gospels of, of receiving a rebuke from Jesus as they spoke with him are those who people like the Pharisees. The Pharisees who had no interest, did they, in coming to Jesus anyway. And even then, think of the one Pharisee. Think of Nicodemus. Do you remember? He came to Jesus at the dead of night. What did he receive? An open door and an invitation, 
An invitation that comes to all of us this morning too, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should come to him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. And it could be that in John 19, we see Nicodemus himself having come to those welcoming, life-giving arms of Jesus. In many ways, those words, Christ has welcomed you there in verse 7, they are a glorious summary of the gospel, aren't they? They remind each of us this morning that once we too were outside of Christ, we were his enemies, we had rejected him, and yet he has reached out his gracious hand to us, and he has drawn us to himself. He has welcomed us in. He has removed all and any sin that would have kept us away. And what better way then to rejoice in that gospel, to live it out, and to declare it to the world as they watch us as a church than to be those who genuinely go about doing the same, welcoming each other just like Christ has welcomed us. To do this, again, it's not going to be easy. To do this will be to be as a church and individuals within it, those who welcome without exception. This is one of the things that I've got to say that I have been so encouraged by as a church here, struck by over the last few years. Being a church in the city centre, we regularly have people from all walks of life coming through our doors, don't we, on a Sunday? And what I see here without fail is those welcoming on the door with a smile, deacons helping, people sitting around others and stopping and talking to them, extending that welcome to them. That is us taking what is written here seriously, isn't it? As a church, opening wide our doors, offering welcome to whoever will come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it printed on the front of our bulletin. Have a read through that. That is what we'd love to be and what we see here as a church. If Christ was willing to welcome each of us when we were unworthy sinners and came to him, bringing nothing to the table ourselves as a church, that is what we are called to do as well, called to do the same, welcoming everyone, welcoming everyone, whether they look like us or not, whether they like the same things as us or not, whether they're respected in the world's eyes or not. No, all are welcome here. Let me just encourage us as a church to not rest easy on this, though, as much as we do see it. Let's just keep each of us playing our part in showing that welcome of Christ to everyone who comes through our doors. But of course, this welcome also includes those of us who would call Great Vic our church home. Because a welcome is something we can keep doing regularly, again and again. Again, this is why we take something like welcoming on the door so seriously. Because as the welcome team smiles at us as we come in, they greet us. Actually, in a way, they are reminding us of the gospel, even there. Some of us could be coming, couldn't we? feeling, I am not worthy to come again this week after what I've done. Well, they're at the door. 
they receive a gospel welcome. They say, you are welcome here. What a beautiful picture. And that's why we also think that that short pause that we just had earlier as the kids go out is a significant moment in our morning services too. Not just because it allows parents the time to come back in and and sit under God's word with the rest of us, but also because it gives genuine opportunity for us to turn to each other and to greet each other. And as we greet each other, whether that's someone we've spoken to a thousand times before or never before, it is that opportunity to, again, throw everything else aside and speaking to each other, say, we are so glad you're here. You are welcome here. You're valued here. We are glad that you came. That's what we love about that moment in the service. And of course, that carries on at the end of the service, doesn't it? As we keep talking with each other, as we enjoy tea and coffee. And of course, as that can continue, as I mentioned earlier, by also looking to do that more widely, welcoming each other perhaps into our homes. You know, it's funny, isn't it? But there is something really meaningful, really profound in our welcome if we are willing to invite someone to step into our own personal homes and our lives. And as we do that, the home doesn't need to be outwardly beautiful, tidy, perfect. No, we want that place rather to be a home than as people who come in to be a home where they see and feel the love of Christ towards them. That's what matters. Again, this is all flowing from the gospel. The example of Christ, isn't it? How beautiful, for example, reconciliation is within the church. When we go out of our way to to welcome even others who have hurt us in the past. There we see God glorified, don't we? As his character, his grace, his attitude towards us is reflected amongst us. That's how Paul concludes, doesn't he, in verse 7. Look with me at those final words. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The gospel is glorious, isn't it? Let's do all that we can to give God that glory for what he has done. Remembering the warm, gracious welcome that we have received. And in light of that, showing that same warm, gracious welcome to all who are part of our church. Whoever they may be, whatever they may have done in the past. So here, presented to us in Romans 15, a challenge. A challenge for us. What would it look like for us to be this Christ-like, God-glorifying church in the year and the years ahead? Well, a church that isn't about me, 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 but one where week by week we come alongside each other. We look outwards. We look to build each other up. We look to, in whatever way possible, live in harmony with one another. We look to welcome each other as Christ has welcomed us. Let's resolve this year to press on in doing that as a church, to give God the glory. And let's pray this year that he would help us. And let's close by praying, because we need his help.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for these words. Lord, we thank you so much that in them we see the gospel. Lord, we see Christ coming here to earth, willing to be mocked and scorned, willing to die, not for his own glory and good, but for ours. And we see here his welcome, his welcome of us, unworthy sinners to come to himself. Lord, he has not cast us aside. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us as a church as we rejoice in the goodness and the glory of that gospel. Lord, help us to respond in kind. Help us as we gather here on Sundays and at other points through the week to be those who build each other up. Lord, give us good and gracious words to each other. Lord, help us to live in harmony with each other. Lord, where there needs to be reconciliation, forgiveness, Lord, please Would you help us to pursue that? And Lord, would you help us week by week to be a church where all are welcome, all know the welcome of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, picking up on the language from our passage, we are going to close by, with one voice, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we together stand united as a church. Let's stand and sing, O Church, Arise, as we close.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.